0: Hi, everyone. It is Thursday, October 5th, 2023. Welcome to TechTO Quick Takes. I'm your host, Alex Riley, and here are today's headlines. How leveraging expertise can help in your hunt for funding. We'll discuss the recent news from Clearco and the major takeaways to take note of. And we offer a step-by-step guide for tech founders looking to secure VC funding. We'll get into more of what that means and that process to break it all down. Alex Norman is here. Hi, Alex.
1: Hey, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. How are you?
1: Pretty good. It's unseasonally warm. I'll take that.
0: First headlines for the power of experience and how successful founders can leverage expertise to secure funding. So a bit of a broad headline. So we are grouping a few announcements together, as we like to do, um, just in regards to this story. So why don't we get into what yeah. the announcements were? So
1: it's, it's interesting. It seems like this last Tuesday, everyone decided to come out and announce their products and their funding. Mm-hmm. So we're going to focus on two experienced founders. I know there's a couple other founders across Canada that had raised earlier and made announcements of their product and funding. It, I just don't know why Tuesday was a special day, but let's go to the two that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So way over in Vancouver, uh, we had Dennis Polarnos suddenly put on social media and a few other places, then basically unveiled his new company, uh, Unblocked. It's a Mm -hmm. developer tool designed to answer questions about your company's code base. And we can get more into what that means in a few seconds. They announced that they're live. They announced that they had done an 8.3 million USD round led by Amplify Partners, First Round Capital, XYZ Capital, and a host of angel investors, including Stuart Butterfield and a couple of uh, angels, um, including the former CEO of Mozilla and a partner at Sequoia. So interesting group of angels. The other announcement that we wanted to talk about was back here in Toronto, Armor of Arma, who anyone in this ecosystem knows well, announced Key Labs and the first Project Mantle. It's a platform designed to alleviate the stress of managing company equity stakes across uh, platforms. It's it's also, you know, basically, um, you know, it it basically makes it easier for you to um, manage your cap table, predict Mm -hmm. when you're going to, you know, how your options are going, and this venture also had secured significant funding with 10.5 million USD, with uh, led by NAC Ventures, with participation from Craft, Sierra Ventures, Leaders Fund, and quite a few local angels and founders.
0: And when we'll get into more of this too later on in, ep- in the episode with other stories, but securing funding has been a struggle, and obviously getting investors on on board has also been difficult, but from your perspective why would an investor be really excited about this and want to be part of it
1: well let's break down each one of these fundings and why the market and the problem they're solving is exciting and why these founders Mm -hmm. um first let's let's look at unblocked um they're a developer tool now if you've been around you know if you've built a product using software you know there's hundreds if not thousands of developer tools available and what most of these developers tools are trying to do is to make the process of building products easier, but it, it still remains inefficient, especially when you get larger and larger teams and bigger, bigger code base. Because what happens is, you know, a developer, you get into the code base, and you're like, okay, wh- I don't understand how this works, or why have we done it this way? So what do they do is they go, they either start, they don't They don't have the context and history. So they basically have to go interrupt someone else. So this has two costs. It, it basically means this the, the developer that's trying to solve this is not being productive, and she goes and interrupts another developer, where they may have been in flow, they may be doing something else, and now they have to basically think about it and you know explain it to them. Um, so the bigger the company gets, the bigger the codebase, the more inefficient it gets. Um, if you could figure a way to make this more efficient, mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of savings for teams. They could be smaller, they can move faster, and that's what Unblocked is trying to do. And now the founder, Dennis Palarnos, is extremely credible in this. He has previously built, scaled, and exited a company called BuddyBuild, which was a dev tool, which was bought by Apple and was very well received. Um, So he saw what was going on, um, and he basically said, hmm, with the emerging LLMs, or generative AI, this could provide the component part of building a suite of tools to allow developers to understand what's in the tools, Uh, And sort of what's in the code base and basically, you know, solve it faster without interrupting people. So they, you know, and if you read, he has a great blog post, which we'll link to in the show notes. And he describes how LLMs that you can contextually train, understand the code base helps, but there's a bunch of other tools to bring in a bunch of other things like video, um, Mm -hmm. which is is generated. So, and the reason Dennis Polarnos it says, you got a big opportunity. Developers are going to be needed to be making more efficient. They're always hard to get. It's very valuable. You can capture some of that and you've got someone who's built a dev tool that's been successful before helps, especially because Dennis has been able to pull a team together. He's able to get design partners. He's able to launch this successfully. So that, that that's why that was exciting. Um, and, you know, flip side, is you go look at what Armar is building with um, 10 Key Labs, uh, I don't know if you're a founder, or a board member, or an employee, managing cap tables and equities is, you know, is, you know lots of companies are trying to tackle, trying to make it better. You have Pulley, you have Carly, you have angelist. They're all solving it from one angle, um, but still, generally, if you ask most people, their you know, cap tables get error prone. They're time consuming. They're expensive to manage. And they're not forward-looking. They're sort of statistic, static and look backwards. Um, so Armour's like, hey, we should be able to predict you know, how these options are going to be used. We should be at any moment to see, you know, do we need a refresh option pool? What's the cap table look like? And so you know, Armour's very familiar with this problem. He's been a serial entrepreneur with several exits he's been a vc he's been an angel investor and once again he saw hey where ai is going we can be more we can proactively solve this problem and make these captives more functional so large problem expensive problem people have tried to solve but you know still lots of money to be solving it a founder that understands understands the space well lots of credibility and has had exits and it was relatively easy for them to raise money
0: Right, so I was gonna say just a few of those points you highlighted, so credibility from the founder and clearly solving for an inefficiency that they're seeing in the industry. Those are yeah. the prime components that are making investors really excited. Um, so good points to highlight, but just lastly, or I guess second to last, what else should tech professionals or anyone listening be taking note about these deals and how they came together?
1: Well, so what's interesting, these rounds were led by U.S. venture capitalists. They had an interesting group of angels that were relevant to the deals. And a bunch of angels who were partners of the other firms, which is very rare. Um, okay. The amount raised implies the valuations for both these deals were at a premium to the current market, because we know valuations are flat. And you know if you raise 8 million, I'm sure they're not diluting themselves by 50%. Um, and this demonstrates that not all experience is critical. We talk about, how experienced teams find it easier to raise. Experienced, you know, like someone was earlier Shopify, but there is still a premium for founders that have created significant returns for investors prior. So both Dennis and Amar have had exits which have created people money, um, and are working in areas they know well. So it makes it significantly easier, and they have a significant advantage in raising funds. Mm-hmm. Um, the other interesting thing is here: these are both raising. You know, lever- they're using LLMs or generative AI to better solve a problem that's already being tackled before. And it's the LLMs aren't the entire solution, but they allow them to craft a more holistic solution that's more efficient. And it gives them a wedge to getting a better solution out there. So we're, I'm seeing to this across the ecosystem. Experienced teams and founders are paying close attention to this new AI
0: mm-hmm. and
1: going and seeing how it can be the kernel of a way to solve a problem Better than before, and so I think we're just at the cusp, and we're going to start seeing a, a lot more. Ex, you know, it may sound crazy, but I mm-hmm. think we're going to see a lot more um, people trying to tackle problems incorporating this AI in, in innovative ways.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the the power of experience has been the common theme that you talked about a lot just in this headline. Is there anything else that you want to highlight for anyone um, that's that's listening? That would be another important takeaway for founders well, specifically. Um,
1: so just because you haven't had an exit for fifty to three hundred million dollars doesn't mean you can't raise. Mm-hmm. Um, the power of experience cannot be underestimated, but you know, I think doesn't guarantee success. I think the key takeaway, if I'm looking at starting a company or joining a company, is, you know, if it's an AI company, how is the technology being used to solve a problem, and why is it not just AI? Because if you're relying just on the AI, lots of people can copy. I think Dennis understands his customers really well. He understands dev tools. Um, Amar understands the venture space, cap tables. They both solve these, have suffered from these problems. Both have tra- tackled these problems. So I think there's many opportunities. You don't have to be experienced, but how is the company you're joining or a company starting really solving these problems? And how does the LLMs change the way you solve the problems? But it, why is it not the whole entire solution?
0: Okay. I think that's a good place to leave it. And lots of takeaways for founders who might be listening uh, just uh, to be conscious of time. Cause we have a lot to yeah. get into uh, the clear code news and just the financial rebirth as a whole um, is a great case in just startup resiliency and how a company can truly, you know, pivot and come back. So before we get into, you know, what people could learn from this, and more of those important takeaways. Uh, just what was the news with Clearco for, okay, so for those who just want more For detail.
1: a while, it's been obvious and covered by media that Clearco's what they call recapitalization, recapitalizing. Mm-hmm. So that I means you're raising new money and you're trying to clear up the balance sheet, and it's probably the lower valuation. On Wednesday, the Global Mail and a few other sources covered the actual recapitalization company that was once worth $2 billion. Um. Has been speculation for lots of time, and it was confirmed the company's uh, net worth have been adjusted. Uh, the news was they, that they had raised 60 million USD in equity. They had re- their, investors have bought another $60 million in equity and retired it. So that means they basically bought it and said, okay, they converted to equity. Um, and then they got a new facility for $100 million. Um, what's interesting here, so what, what the effect is, this basically said, hey, if you participate in the last round, you still have equity. Um, we've taken some debt here, so we've taken some financial leverage off. We've got new capital to lend out to our customers. And so the net effect was this company is now worth $200 million, including the cash on the balance sheet. So if you think about it, this company was worth $2 billion plus at, yeah. at the peak. Now it's just raised $60 million, com- take some $60 million debt and convert it to some unknown amount of equity. So let's even call that ten. So it's worth seventy. So it's worth two hundred million after raising seventy. So that, that two billion plus valuations was crushed to one hundred thirty. Um, but you know that's what a recapitalization does, and the company is still alive and has it and has the ability to grow again and hopefully be profitable.
0: And I just want to get into more about the investors that have been involved. So how have they been contributing, or how did they uh, perhaps contribute to? I guess this. This change in investment.
1: I I think this shows why you have to pick the right investors and have good relationships with them. Like the management team has done great things to turn the ship, Mm -hmm. but they were a big company. You know these ships don't turn fast. They were bleeding money. um, They cut the burn down, but they couldn't recap without support from investors. So I know via founder circle, two of the initial investors made this happen. Um, They flip. They basically led a round of equity. So, and they purchased 60 million debt. So they took some of the debt out and converted it to equity. Um, it's a strong endorsement of Clear, what they see in Clearco's potential, um, particularly in this market. And without those insiders and basically putting more cash in and leading the way, this restructuring would have never happened. And we wouldn't be talking about Clearco in, in, as a resilient company right now.
0: Right. And I mean, as you mentioned earlier before, there has been. Financial restructuring, and um, as we know, so where uh, does this leave Clearco now? What position does this leave them in?
1: Well, hopefully, it leaves it in a Phoenix-like position. It has a new management team, a simplified product offering, a clear path towards profitability, uh, robust support from its you know founding team and its remaining investors. Um, so, leads it with a future where it could be an ongoing concern and hopefully growing again. So it's a pretty strong position considered where people thought it was, you know, 12 months ago.
0: Are there just really important standout things that a founder should be taking note of, uh, or be gaining inspiration or perspective from the ClearCo? I guess a lot of
1: startups valuation and momentum are way it's rewarded is play, you know, is based upon several factors. It could be the macroeconomic factors, trends the comparables what the public companies trade at and you've seen an extreme case of favorable tailwinds going to headwinds and clear coast base but when they were worth two billion dollars you know um e-commerce was going super fast and interest rates were low so they could make good um good margins off in lending um the valuations of public companies were extremely high so all those things pushed the valuations up rewarded extreme growth didn't worry about cash flow and then with like Couple months or seemingly a couple months, interest rates started spiking, e-commerce reversed its growth trend. Um, you know, the comparables of public companies went down, which all of a sudden said, Hey, we don't value this as nearly as much, and we don't care about growth. We care about actual like unit economics. So you had this huge company that it was doing exactly what the market wanted, and its investors wanted to, all of a sudden saying, Hey, you know what? You have to turn around and head in the other direction. And it makes it very hard. And this, and so um what we forget is we have a lot of control how we build a company, but the way we get reward forward building changes as all these variables change. And it's not easy to do it. And I think it also shows them again, I'll resay it, the importance of having strong investor relationships yep. and keeping your investors and ho- hopefully picking people that will support you when that, when those sort of tailwinds become headwinds.
0: Uh, last piece of, I guess, news we want to discuss today is just the, I like how you position it as uh, the venture capital due diligence process and just why this is so important for tech founders trying to raise capital today. So I'll let you explain more of uh, what that means, but so, maybe yeah. we can just uh, start with just and I'll I'll of that. start
1: with giving credit to Jason Goldless. Cause Jason, you know, I was, you know, Jason and I were talking to a couple of different startups recently. Um, those startups had some interest from, Venture capitalist. And he said, Hey, you know, here's one thing I would do to, to speed up the process, especially in this market. Mm-hmm. So, a, a little bit of context here if you're raising money for venture capitalists, everyone has different diligence processes. But usually, if you are in the market, um, at one point, your VC will want to do due diligence. It'll be legal diligence, it'll be technical diligence. But one of them will want to validate that you're solving a problem, your customers appreciate what you're doing. And so, this is advice that this comes out advice that Jason said, how, you know, if you got someone that's interested, but hasn't mm-hmm. started diligence, how you can speed up the process and show that you're on top of things.
0: And so why don't we just kind of break it all down maybe into steps to make it more digestible for for people to take in. So um, what are the key points in perhaps executing this due diligence process?
1: So the first thing, and I, again, what you don't want to, so just also context, this diligence is customer diligence, right? And you don't want all your customers to be distributed, uh, disturbed all the time And you want the customer, the customers to help you out with the raise. So Jason's first piece of advice here was, uh, find a credible client. So maybe an industry expert or leader, um, someone that, you know, as a VC or just outside person would say this, these people know what they're talking about, we respect them. That's a customer of yours, hopefully, or a potential customer and basically ask them, would you be willing to talk to a few potential investors? And then once they say that, say, yes, then you can go, these, these, these customers and the, it might be someone at the client. It doesn't have to be the CEO. Like let's say with Shopify, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be Toby. It could be the person that's in the unit, the purchasing decision, the person that actually has a problem. So you might want to prep them saying, here's the different types of questions they'll ask. And here's, okay. you know, what, you know, how we would answer them. You're not telling them how to answer but like, cause lots of people haven't gone due diligence and VCs. They don't know what they're looking for. So, So basically,
0: you're guiding them.
1: Yeah, guiding the questions to expect and not necessarily how to answer them, but these are questions you expect. These are what they're looking for and just basically preparing them, just like you do for a reference if you're doing a reference for a new job. And then very simple next step, connect Mm -hmm. the VC and the client. Proactively say, hey, looks like you're interested in what we're doing. You know, so-and-so, you know, VC, you know, VC, um, ABC, um, looks like you're excited about what we're doing. We have a list of three customers that are willing to take the listen and talk to you about why, you know, the problem about why they look, you know, what we solved, that will be pretty cadence, uh, sorry, pretty, there's be lots of candor. We've asked them to be just, you know, you can expect them to answer truthfully mm-hmm. and then basically let them connect and then debrief with both after find out from the VC, what they thought about the client, what they, you know, find out from the client, what the VC was asking about, what concerns they may have had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then just basically take it from there. It's a simple process, but yeah. it can actually speed up the process. And you know what? The good thing is if you do this right, you'll learn which customers are passionate about you. You'll also, and as they debrief you on the questions that we're asking, the answers they gave them, you'll also be doing a bit of customer development that helps you be, better understand your customers.
0: Okay. So I, I like how you broke it down to just, you know, getting a credible client, prepping them, connecting them with the VC, and then obviously doing that check-in point afterwards. Just one final question for you. And- um, if there's anything else that founders should be doing that they're not that you wanna highlight? Uh just in your perspective, if there's anything else you want to add around this guide for founders.
1: Well, I'd also go far like in this market, you know, ideally you don't have your customers uh disturbed many times of many venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. So what I'd also do if you think you'll need to have a few different people call because either not the VC, you know, you're gonna have multiple VCs at the table, I think what you could do is ask the VC to record the interview and see if you could share it or share your notes with other VCs. And, or you could maybe have, you could do inter- interviews with a few customers you want to support them a few times and have them like in a diligence room. Hey, here's, you know, something we did.
0: Okay. And we actually did an in-depth rundown of this in a previous edition of the newsletter, which I think is really helpful to see it um, written out as well. So I'll link that in our show notes. And just before we wrap up, Alex, uh, just a bunch of events that I want to make sure the community knows about if they don't already. So we have an event tonight, October 5th in Montreal. If you are in Montreal, uh, please come out to that at planned. Uh, we've got a great lineup of speakers. Um, our friends from Deloitte Ventures are there as well. And then October 11th, we have a Techio Premium at Rotman, which will be Again, another amazing experience, unbelievable venue. There's also an after party, a uh, fair amount of insider events coming up. So if you want to know what that means to be a Tactio insider, you can look that up on our website. I'll link that in our show notes too. Um, so definitely a great way to access more exclusive community perks. And November 6th, we have an event uh, again at Rotman. So uh, for more information, everything's on our website, tactio.org hey uh, alex thank you again for joining us and breaking everything down if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening and we'll be back in two weeks time with another episode of tech quick takes and until then we'll see you on the inside we're in the business of delivering impossible things We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before.
1: If you build that culture, you'll come up with really cool and innovative stuff and literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this
0: conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.